everyone, and welcome to another episode of Female Narrative. Today, I'm speaking with Ms. Marla Isaacson. She started her career as an English literature major and then transitioned into marketing, having worked in marketing at American Express, WebMD, and Barnes & Nobles. Currently, she's the founder and CEO of ASA, an inclusive women's podcast network. Hello and welcome. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for speaking with me. Um, this is a real honor. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. So let's start um, at the beginning of your career at university. Sure. So could you tell us a bit about your experience studying at Union College and later at the Fordham Gabelli School of Business? Yeah, A plus for you spelling the, the um, business school name right. <laughs> I don't say correctly either. So Union College is a small um, liberal arts college. Um, I decided to go that route because I didn't know what I wanted to do when I grow up. <clears throat> so I'm not, um, I don't have a science focus, which is too bad because they're very strong in engineering. But um, I decided to focus on things that I really love. And um, I decided to go with English as my major. And poli-sci and history as a minor. A mm -hmm. couple of things. I love reading literature. What's really important to me is the spoken and written word. And I certainly got a lot of practice doing that as an English major. And in terms of poli-sci and history, it's about you know, historical facts and how governments work. So I, I really am happy I got a great education there. It was perfect for me. I didn't want a huge university. It was not for me. So um, after Union, I actually worked for a few years at um, ANS, which used to be a very large department store in the New York area. Very beloved. Um, people loved it. So I decided to do that because I was young and wanted some training in dealing with people and management, etc. So what was interesting is they gave me a ton of, of responsibility. I managed women's knits, gloves, hosiery, handbags, which was a huge revenue generator for the company. So I decided to go the store route um, versus the merchandising route. I was just more interested in that. Um, and then uh, worked for a bit. I went on to work for Citibank. I know we'll talk about my career in a minute. And then decided to do an MBA part-time. Went to Fordham. Uh, it was convenient for me. Uh, it, it was, I, I lived in the neighborhood. Um, honestly, that was part of the reason why I chose Fordham. <laughs> it also has a very good reputation as a business school. I wanted some formal training as to business strategy, uh, building a business, financials. So that's why I thought, being that I was an English major, that getting that information, that, that um, resources, that support would be very helpful as I move along in my career. Hmm. Very interesting. So... What key differences did you see between your undergrad and graduate experience? Huge. Um, undergraduate was uh, residential. Everybody lived there. Uh, it was a community. We were all so very young, um, you know, starting at 18. So 
you know, the, <clears throat> I think our focus was a little different than um, what people typically focus on when they go to business school. Um, so I think that's a big difference. Obviously the curriculum is different, but those people who go to business school, there's, they have a, they're ser serious. They, they're serious about their career and they are looking for specific um, information resources to help them push their career forward. And the ages of people attending Fordham really ranged widely. So there was a serious focus. It wasn't a partying focus. So as an undergraduate, you studied history and poli-sci, and this isn't something that you specifically pursued. So would you say that your undergraduate experience prepared you for your future in any way? Yes, I, yes, I do believe it did because again, I knew whatever I was going to do would involve oral and written communications, as well as um, having an analytic capability. So for example, as an English major, a lot of what we did was look at literature, analyze it, dissect it, and write about it. <clears throat> I feel that those skills are very transferable, which is why I pursued that. Great. And on the other hand, what was the big benefit of having an MBA? You know what? I think it's credibility. It just um, gave me credibility as a marketing person. Uh, I knew that however I was going to proceed in my career, wherever I was going to go, they'd probably look for an MBA. Uh, plus, again, I was able to take courses on topics that I hadn't studied before. So I think that was important. Amazing. So you spoke a bit about your first job out of college. So could you tell us about applying and landing such a great position? Well, it was sort of easy peasy for me because they came to recruit at Union mm -hmm. and um, I decided that it would be a good opportunity. <clears throat> I wouldn't say that I was very directed as an undergraduate. I mean, that, that is true. But what appealed to me about it was, um, again, the opportunity to get experience with um, managing people. So it was really easy. They came to campus. They recruited. I had to go to the headquarters at the time was in Brooklyn, New York. I had to go to Brooklyn and meet more people. And, and then I got the job. Um, so could you tell us a bit more about what you did uh, at Abraham and Strauss? Sure. So I was a department manager in a very large branch in the suburbs of Long Island of ANS. Uh, and I was given the responsibility to manage a very a high revenue generating part of the business, which is knits, hosiery, handbags, accessories. Now I happen to love handbags and accessories, so it was not a problem for me. But I was very happy to get the responsibility and I really had to, you know, do a good job. The, a lot was riding on my performance. One of my big questions, which I'm curious about, how did you make the transition from being an English literature major to a store manager, then, which we'll get to, a marketing specialist? What key skills helped you or mentors or resources? So... No real mentors in terms of going from Union to ANS. Um, I again, I think it was 
the ability to write, you know, comprehensively, to analyze. I think those were really important skills that were extremely transferable. I'm a big believer in a liberal arts education. I, I think it gives people a real foundation um, and it just makes people better educated. So that's what I would say. And would you say that there was um, a steep learning curve with being a store manager? If so, were there any resources that you seek? So as actually a department manager, you just promoted me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was a huge steep curve. Um, everyone working for me were mostly older women who had been there for like 25 years. So I came in and wanted to change things up. And the response was, listen, sweetheart, we've been here a long time. We know what we're doing. That was challenging for me, which is how to manage with a group of people who had way more experience than I did. So that, that was challenging. That's really interesting. So how did you manage to do that? What I did was I... I reached out to each one individually and worked on creating a relationship to, to, to help. I wanted them to partner with me. So it was not me being boss employee. It was way more collaborative, which really worked for me at the time um, because they all had a lot to tell me and they all had a lot to teach me. And they appreciated that I, that I approached the relationship in that, that uh, respect, that way. So around that time, um, I read that you created a marketing plan to meet your future husband. Um, oh my gosh. That's really interesting. <laughs> Could you tell yeah. us about that? Oh, I don't know where you dug that one up, but that's so funny. Yes, I did. I'm a pretty analytic person. And although I'm not, I don't love details, I pretty much are I'm process oriented. I like to bake. I've always liked to bake. So I think about things in terms of a recipe, which is essentially sequential steps. And at that point, I decided I wanted to get married. And I was in the suburbs and I wasn't really meeting a whole lot of people. So I sat down and tried to figure out Who's my target, right? A typical marketing plan. What kind of guy was I looking for? What were his qualifications, his characteristics? And then uh, what was his career? Will, would he be a good um, earner? I, you know, I talked about um, how he treated his mom. You know, is, is, is he respectful? So all the, I essentially created a tick sheet of all the qualifications and characteristics that I was looking for. And I think respect was such a huge piece of it um, because I, that's the only kind of person I want to deal with. So that was my number one characteristic that was super important to me. No, I understand. And I think many people especially nowadays, uh, really seek that. Uh, but out of curiosity, are there any other ways, examples that your job blend into your personal life or vice versa? Um, not, 
Not really. I, I think it was more of a timing issue, which was I realized if I was going to have access to, you know, good potential husband material, that I probably wouldn't find it in the suburbs. So my focus was moving into Manhattan, which I did. Mm-hmm. That really helped. Okay, amazing. So continuing with your career, you soon moved on to working in your dream job at American Express. So there was actually a step before that. Uh, so I, what got me out of the suburbs and into the city was working for Citibank. Mm-hmm. And they were looking for people at the time who understood the sales process because they were approaching banking from a personal relationship perspective, more consultative sales versus, you know, you got to open this checking account. It's really important. You know, needs assessment, understanding the person's capabilities, finances, et cetera. So I applied for that job and I was thrilled, thrilled to be accepted. You know, Citibank is a terrific brand. It still is. So I felt really good about it. I also felt that it was a good opportunity for me to leverage the skill set that I had learned And it also got me into Manhattan because my uh, salary was a little higher. Hmm. Amazing. So could you tell us a little more about your role at Citibank? Sure. I had multiple assignments. So I first started out being a sales manager at a Citibank branch in Midtown. And again, that's where I helped to put in place more of a consultative sales process with the, pe- with the bankers that worked in the branch. Mm-hmm. After that, I was hired to be an area marketing manager, which meant that I was taking the, the skill development and applying it to a group, a cluster of branches. That was a great job, loved it. Uh, again, honed skills. And then I ended up migrating to the corporate marketing group Again, it was U.S. banking, so it wasn't corporate, but I really wanted to have more of a traditional marketing experience. I was assistant manager. I worked on whatever they gave me. Um, I was just thrilled to be there. So I did that for a while. And my last assignment, and this is so prehistoric, is that I worked on the development and launch of a product called Direct Access which was one of the first uh, online banking uh, projects. So we were pioneers, which Citibank at that point, pretty innovative. I mean, we've gone so much further now than we were then. But again, that was a great experience because it helped me not only hone my marketing skills, but learn more about project management. So that was a great job. And that, I mean, that, I was at Citibank for seven and a half years. Mm-hmm. So it was a great, I really enjoyed my experience there. Oh, that sounds wonderful. What were some initial challenges that you faced? Well, in the uh, first, the branch sales manager job and the area sales manager job, again, I was dealing with older people 
who were very set in their ways and had no interest in changing. So I had to go the consultative route and I had to demonstrate consistently how changing their approach would enable the bank to make more money and for them to get raises. So that was an interesting process. But my experience at American by uh, Abraham and Strauss really helped me do that. No, oh, that's amazing. After that position for seven years, you applied to your dream job at American Express. So can you tell us about applying and working there? Sure. American Express was my dream company. It was the only company I wanted to work for. So for a while, I was essentially applying for any job opening of that was available. And some I you know, absolutely was not qualified for. But I lucked out and was able to land a job in what was then um, Consumer Lending Group. And um, consumer lending at that point really focused on lines of credit, which was a big product line then. So I came in as, a, as an assistant manager. Essentially, I was learning the ropes, just helping my manager and director on any project that they came up with. It was great because, again, I learned a lot about financial marketing, which was terrific. Amazing. Could you tell us about your proudest moment at American Express? So my career spanned 12 and a half years, which was a long time, actually 11 and a half, 12 years, something like that. I can't even remember now. And I think my proudest moment was when I led the marketing launch of the blue card from American Express, which, is, which was a huge initiative involving hundreds of people. We were essentially trying to create an innovative credit card. And we did that a couple of different ways. So my group came up with the design of the card, which was very new and different. There was a hologram, uh, it was clear. So the engineering that was involved was tremendous. Uh, so there were a lot of engineers that led that piece of it. But we also wanted to present it as a card for younger uh, people, you know, people who are kind of starting out uh, people who may not have been in sync with the American Express uh, current card line, they, were, they didn't feel emotionally that they connected with it. You know, membership has its privileges, which was a tag like that at that point, just did not resonate with younger audiences. Mm -hmm. So my group was tasked to come up with a product and then we had to manage uh, the marketing piece of it. So I worked, the CMO, the head of uh, uh, global advertising ran the advertising piece of it, which was huge. We had TV uh, campaigns, but we worked very closely together. And my focus was uh, direct marketing, which was really the way we were able to connect with uh, new audiences and tell them about the card. Big, big initiative, very proud, did really well at the time. It, and it was a lot of fun. It was just so much fun because I had to really use every skill that I had developed. So enjoyed it. Oh, that sounds amazing. So I'd be curious, that's such a big step. Were there any mentors 
books, support system behind you that, that helped you along the way? So in the 12 year span that I was there, I kept on getting promoted. Mm-hmm. So, and got jobs with more and more responsibility. So I would say the, my immediate supervisors, managers were super helpful. I did my best for them and uh, they were very supportive in my career and that's how it worked. So that, you know, other than my immediate, well, I would say the head of the, uh, the unit was pretty supportive. So there wasn't one particular person that I sought out. Mm-hmm. Essentially, it was just support from my management team. Great. So as you said, you stayed at American Express for around 12 years. Mm-hmm. So what about the job and or the company prompted you to stay? And on the other hand, what motivated you to leave at the end? So American Express at that time was what is, was probably the premier financial services company in the world. I was very proud of the brand. I felt really good about working there. I believed in what we were doing. And I had the opportunity to work on just so many cool projects throughout the span of my career. Mm-hmm. And I left due to a uh, reorganization, a management change. I had the opportunity to stay at American Express. There were other opportunities I could uh, select, but I decided it was time to leave. And the reason why I decided was like all of a sudden .com just started. And I thought, wow, that's kind of cool. I probably need to learn this in order to excel in my career. So that's the process. Amazing. As you said, around that time, the dot-com boom happened. So could you tell us about working in that era at WebMD? Sure. So at that point, WebMD, when I joined WebMD, it had been a company for a little under a year, led by really innovative, creative people. Uh, They spent a whole lot of money marketing. At that point, it was really interesting because I think a lot of dot-coms just spent a ton of marketing, dollars on marketing, and they were more focused on that versus the overall business financials. We, I will never forget, WebMD produced a 30-minute commercial with Muhammad Ali during the Super Bowl. Nothing is more expensive than Super Bowl ads. So, you know, that's what they wanted to do. That was cool. Um, I really focused on the marketing piece of WebMD. So how do we get new subscribers, brand amplification? There were a whole lot of projects that I worked on. Again, I felt I was getting really good experience learning the ropes. And the reason why I left was the innovative Uh, visionaries left the company and um, there were, it was bought by uh, a group of, well, essentially the new, the the new people who ran the company were pharmaceutical people. And it just was not what I wanted to do. I was not interested. It was just didn't have the pizzazz that I wanted. 
So as we mentioned, uh, you experienced the dot-com bubble, mm-hmm. sadly, September 11th, and currently the COVID-19 pandemic. Right. How have all these crises and changes impacted your career? Well, there was a period of time, oh, I will never forget this. September 10th, 2001, I was interviewing for a job downtown, mm-hmm. like a new job. And sort of, you know, retrospect realized, wow, you know, I could have been in that area if it had been a day later. So I felt very blessed. Um, Me seeking a second job, you know, after WebMD took a while because of September 11th, essentially everything shut down for a long period of time. New York was in mourning. It was just not a great time to look for a job. So it impacted my job search, I would say. It impacted the way I think all industries grew their businesses. There was a lot of reflection at that point. So that certainly had an impact on my career. In terms of COVID-19, it had a huge impact on what I'm doing now. I'm the CEO and founder of ASA. I know we're going to be talking about it. A core part of ASA is uh, ad tech, ad sales. Uh, so we would pa- we pair up advertisers with podcasters. And at that point, the advertisers pulled back. Everyone was terrified when, the, when there were shutdowns. So that really uh, impacted the amount of sales I was able to bring in in 2020. So I think it's difficult to say, but... What ways did you find to deal with such crises? Are they moments for reflection and changes or trying to survive? Sure. With COVID-19, because it's more recent, I was very grateful that my two adult children came home and my husband and I, my daughter and my son, we were together for 16 months. That was sort of, that was a blessing for me, just to be able to spend this kind of time with my kids was extraordinary. Mm -hmm. So I would say the family support, the family dynamics were critical and helped me get through this horrible period of time. I was very grateful. I think for a lot of people, that was one great upside. Exactly. Family. Yeah. Great to hear Soon after leaving WebMD, uh, you took a job at Barnes and Nobles as the CMO. Mm-hmm. So, could you briefly tell us about your work there? It was a fun job. My focus was on Barnes and Noble uh, brick and mortar stores versus uh, Barnes and Noble online, and a core piece of it was increasing the number of people in their Reader's Advantage membership program. And I had experience with membership programs because part of my responsibility at American Express was I was responsible for growing membership rewards, which is their huge um, membership program. So that was a core part of my responsibility. Uh, I worked on other 
projects such as we, there were a lot of branch events that went on. So whatever support a, a store needed, if they were bringing in an author, mm -hmm. uh, we would lend support. The other thing we did, and I think it was for the second book, but there was a buzz around another Harry Potter book coming out. So we created an entire campaign around attracting young people because Harry Potter is coming out. So some of the stores had slumber parties because uh, I don't think the book was released until midnight. So we really had a good time with that. Uh, it was just a great opportunity to do something that was so much fun. No, that really does sound like a great opportunity and um, an amazing way to make experience in English literature and marketing. So before I jump in to your entrepreneurship journey, mm -hmm. your experience in the corporate world, what did that teach you? So I learned a lot. I learned about accountability, responsibility, you know, the bucks always stopped with me. I learned project management. Obviously, I honed marketing skills. It was, I learned about what was helpful was the structure of, of working for a company, just seeing how everything worked and uh, working with different departments, like getting access to a finance department or an advertising group or a market research group. So that was just fabulous. That, that really was incredible. And that really helped me. Yeah, I mean, everything I did at American Express, my gosh, I use a lot of that now, just in terms of my love of research, my love of branding, mm -hmm. marketing campaigns, et cetera. So it was a great foundation. It's amazing. So when and how did you decide to start your first company? So I worked for Barnes & Noble for about a year. It wasn't the best fit, fit for me because I think they really needed more of a, a book merchandiser person. And that was actually a blessing in disguise because I decided I'm kind of done working for companies. I want to do something. For myself, I want to be my own boss. Mm -hmm. And what I did was look at consumer needs, which was, again, a lot of what we focused on in American Express. At that point, my daughter was a teenager. And my focus was always, you know, women's empowerment and development of women. And that time, there weren't a whole lot of great resources for teen girls. So I decided to um, create Heart of Gold Girls, which was my first foray into entrepreneurship. And I did that for about a couple of years. And then I realized I am not necessarily in sync with teenage girls anymore because my daughter was an adult. And I decided to pivot the company mm -hmm. and um, we rebranded and we were called uh, Like a Boss Girls. And the focus was more millennial women, women starting out. So it was a lot of content, big content site, you know, resources, how to get a job, how to manage your finances, relationships. We covered it all. 
we had the website, we also had social media, and we really grew our social media following very rapidly to about 1.2 million followers. So that was a terrific experience. And a number of years, actually it was 2018, I was working with um, two very talented people from an ad agency, one that I had selected to help me do branding work for Like a Boss Girls. They were colleagues and they're still colleagues and they're friends. And they suggested that I start a podcast. I absolutely had no interest in doing it whatsoever. I was more of a behind the scenes kind of person. Mm -hmm. So starting a podcast meant that I was going public, but they were very persuasive. I started my podcast, Mind of a Mentor. And at that point, working with my colleagues, we got really interested in and jazzed about podcasting. So again, since my focus had been women's empowerment, women's development, I did research, again, for my skills at American Express, to try to understand how women were faring in the podcasting industry. And they were not, women were not doing nearly as well as men were doing. I think men started earlier. Uh, they were very focused on monetization and women started a little later. And, you know, we had to help women catch up because I view it as a tremendous platform to mm-hmm. communicate and uh, a great pl- platform to help people make money. I think Asa is an amazing company by Chris. There's a lot of questions that I have about your whole journey. So one thing that I believe you're amazing in your career um, and especially with this business is knowing when and how to pivot. So can you tell us about the importance of adapting in entrepreneurship? Sure. What's very important is understanding your consumer, your target audience and really focusing on their needs and their behaviors and their preferences. So when you focus on your consumer, you get a good sense. They really help you decide when it's time to pivot. Mm -hmm. I also, so in addition to looking at the consumer, it's reading market research, seeing trends happening, getting my hands on podcast uh, journals, et cetera, et cetera. So that really, those were important components. And because I accessed that, I was able to make a a pivot pretty seamlessly. Mm -hmm. So I didn't jump in without doing anything because that's just not the way I operate. I studied, I researched, I talked to consumers, I prepared, and then we launched. I think there's a lot of young uh, people out there like myself who aspire to start their own business. So what would be your advice to young entrepreneurs on starting and then scaling your business? I think the most important thing is to focus on your target audience. That's got to be number one. Mm -hmm. So once you have a sense of who you want to work with or who you want to serve, then you need to do research to understand what are their needs. Mm -hmm. So I believe that a successful business is built off of 
serving your customer. That's a very important uh, first step. So that's important. I also believe uh, understanding the competition and seeing what they're doing. So marrying that with understanding your customer gives you a, a way to start thinking about uh, what you may want to do in terms of how you want to build your company. I am not a believer of building technology and they will come. I think that's just not the way to do it. It should always be focused on consumer needs. Amazing. So I wanted to talk some more about ASA. So mm -hmm. could you develop on what specifically ASA does and the vision behind it? I'm having the best time. This is probably my most favorite job ever. So ASA started really as an ad tech platform. That was our focus, helping women make money. But then we soon realized that there was a lot more that we could do to serve podcasters, women in podcasting, because that was really my focus. And we decided to build out the community aspect of ASA. So understanding what did these podcasters need? Where, what kind of skill development work did they need? You know, how do they want to operate as a community? So we really did a lot of work understanding, again, it's consumer needs. And I then, we then began, began to realize that ASA was bigger than we had thought mm -hmm. and that we could do a lot more. And the fun part of being the founder and CEO is I get to create a lot um, to the point that sometimes my team wants to kill me because you know having new ideas and testing them out is like the coolest thing in the world. But realistically, you need people to actually do the tests and do the implementation. That sounds amazing and exciting. I think a lot of people hope to achieve that someday. I wanted to speak more about podcasting itself. Mm -hmm. So why do you think podcasting remains a male-dominated field and how can women break into it? So it's better than it was when I launched ASA, which was in 2019. So right now, around 37% of all podcast hosts are women. So there, there's been some improvement. I think there are a lot of barriers to, uh, in terms of women entering the podcast world, you know, fear of technology or fear of being over, overburdened with all other responsibilities, maybe not having the money that they think they need to have to start podcasting. So there are a couple of key barriers that I think can be managed. And I think one of the jobs, one of our key areas or our responsibility is to communicate that message, which is we can help you, we can help you start a podcast. It's not that hard. And, and we can help you. If you really want to do a podcast, just come to us and we'll help you. So podcasts, at least to me, have so much potential. So could you mm -hmm. talk about the social impact that podcasts can have, whether that be raising underrepresented voices and sharing stories. So our focus with ASA is small to mid-sized podcasters. So essentially a good uh, 
a core group of that really focuses on underrepresented voices. I believe that it's so important to give women a platform to speak their mind, to speak their purpose. Podcasting is a fabulous platform to do that. I last year during the the issues um, and the demonstrations, uh, we ended up focusing and talked to a lot of black podcasters and they were able to speak their truth in terms of George Floyd and how they felt about it. So I think a lot of dialogue occurred. So, and the dialogue was able to be had, pardon my language, because they had a platform that could reach a huge audience. And again, the cost to start a uh, podcast is not huge. So I think underrepresented voices really need to focus on what's their message, who do they wanna reach, what do they wanna do, and figure out how a podcast can help them. I think that is completely true. And from my experience, it might seem very, as you said, with recording your first podcast, mm-hmm. but it's really fun in the end. It is a lot of fun. I think what people don't realize is that it does require a commitment. So I've talked to plenty of women who are thinking about starting a podcast. And what I tell them is you need to be committed to this. It's not a stop and start kind of thing. A core part of being a good podcaster and growing your show is consistency. I advise women starting out in podcasting to record 10 episodes. You don't have to push them out on um, Apple or any of the other platforms. But after recording those 10 sessions, how do you feel about podcasting? Do you still love it? Does it fit within your overall career? Or are you finding it to be challenging, difficult, just another thing on your plate? And then I think it's really important for someone to say, you know, maybe this is not the right channel for me. So it does require focus and dedication. No, I would agree. So I'm curious, what is your future plan for ASA? What are your next steps? I like to say to people, our focus is world domination. (laughs) (laughs) What I mean by that is we really want to reach a lot more women in podcasting, a lot more small to mid-sized podcasters. You know, NPR-sized podcasters, they don't need me. They're doing quite well. They have a zillion downloads. They get advertising dollars, but I want to nurture that population of small to mid-sized podcasters. They tend to be women who have very successful businesses and are looking uh, as looking to have their podcast amplify their brand. Some decide, oh my gosh, I love this. Let me focus and make this my full-time career. So number one is to really expand uh, our platform. So we have roughly 1,200 women podcasters on ASA, small to mid-sized podcasters. And our goal is to have at least 21,000 women a year from now. Why? Because I want, I believe, I so believe in the platform Mm -hmm. and I really want to help women who feel like they have something to say. So 
again, bringing more podcasters onto the platform. We're also building a group called ASA Production Services. A lot of questions that we get from our podcasters. Do you know a good editor? Do you know a good producer? I need help with my audio. And what we're going to do is create a group of uh, trusted uh, contractors and people, people who actually have this expertise and create like a mini agency, uh, people that we vet. Mm -hmm. So I think that, again, it's focusing on consumer needs. They asked for it. I'm going to deliver it. Additionally, we're building an app, which is huge. I am so excited about this. This is going to be incredible. We are going. So right now, when we do uh, podcast advertising, it's what we, we do white glove customer service. So what that means is we work directly with an advertiser. We help them select podcasters. We do everything, getting the script to podcasters, taking care of the finances, et cetera, et cetera. Our minimum deal is $10,000 because this is a costly operation for us. Mm -hmm. But I know that there are smaller podcasters who really would like to monetize their podcast. I also know that there are advertisers who don't want to spend $10,000 yet, who want to get the experience of advertising on a podcast. So the app we're building will have a DIY do-it-yourself component. So mm -hmm. again, uh, advertisers who want to spend less than $10,000, they will be able to go on ASA and essentially do this whole process themselves. And we're going to make it super easy. It's going to be very interactive in terms of selecting the podcasters they want, working on payment. We're going to take care of all of that. We are also going to be adding an analytic component to ASA. We did a beta test of something called ASA Insights. Again, based on my experience in corporate marketing, you need to know your numbers and not everyone knows their numbers. You're running a business. So um, ASA Insights gave us, that, that beta program gave us a lot of information about the type of analytics that are relevant for podcasters. And what we're going to be doing is creating a, a, a section on the app where I call it like mission control, where people will be able to pull in Google, you know, their uh, website information, uh, Facebook links, all those links in one place so they can understand their numbers. And once you understand your numbers, you can better diagnose any issues that you may see. And you can, it's more, you can more effectively grow your show. So I would say that the app is huge. It's probably going to take us at least 10 months to pull it together. There are a few other bells and whistles we're going to be adding, but it's something that I'm super proud of and very excited because I believe this is going to bring uh, more women and more advertisers to the world of podcasting and understand the consumer. We need to make it easy. We can't make it complicated. And that's our focus right now, which is the user experience. I think that, that sounds amazing and really useful. I'm really excited to, to see that happen. Thank you. Yeah.
Um, so I'm curious, you're doing such amazing things with ASA. Um, I guess it's hard to answer, but what would you attribute your success to? Creativity, your team, motivation, anything? I think there are a couple of components. Personally, it's this inner drive. I know I wanted to create something. This is very important to me. So I think it's that. I think it's being able to be more free from a creative perspective without corporate constraints. Mm -hmm. So what's really important when you're doing marketing is you have an idea, test it. Does it work? Roll it out. If it doesn't work, pull it back out. And I love having the ability to do that. So that's important. My family is super supportive. Oh, wow. They're great. And I have a few trusted colleagues. I adore them. They have helped me every, every step of the way. I'm e eternally grateful to them. So those pieces coming together, that's, that's what I would say is my answer. I think that, that is amazing. And certainly to everyone that they can find all of those elements. Maybe last question about your entrepreneurship journey. Looking back through all the steps to uh, provide advice to our listeners, would there have been anything you would have done differently? Yeah, I, I mean, I think there are a few things. I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty. I guess. I would have, I, I wasn't sure what I wanted ASA to look like. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I did not go the investor route. I think if you're entering um, the world of entrepreneurship and have a really good sense of your product or service, explore opportunities for funding if you don't have a huge pocketbook. So I would say that's one thing. Would I have done it differently? Maybe not. Because again, a lot of it was about me evolving the concept and having the freedom to do that. Um, I, you know, I think my work experience, they're like pieces of a mosaic. And I'm not, I'm not a complete person from a career perspective without, without having experienced mm -hmm. all the positions I've had. They, they help me be who I am today. So, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly, <laughs> right? Some were great experiences, some were less great experiences, but I learned from everything. So I think an important focus is to, for entrepreneurs just starting out, is you're going to make mistakes, learn from them, make sure you understand who your customer is, don't start anything before you understand that, verify uh, by doing research, talking to people that they are your customer, understand their needs, and then start building around that. I think that is super important. Don't start a business until you understand that because it's not going to be successful. So I would say those are really important. I think also understanding who's your support team. So, you know, can you afford to hire people for your team? Or do you have a supportive family or friends that can help you launch your uh podcast or, or business. So focus on that is understanding that entrepreneurship can be a very lonely journey because it's scary. 
some days are, I feel like I am like the most fabulous person in the world and other days I'm like, oh my God, I suck. I'm like the worst person in the world. So just understand that not every day is going to be great. Mm -hmm. And again, understand and learn from the days that are not great so that you actually can create a better product or service. Thank you. That, that is a great advice. And when we are reflecting, uh, I am curious, how has being a woman uh, impacted your career in the corporate world and now in entrepreneurship? I think it's key to my entrepreneurial journey. So I worked in, in, for corporations, you know, about 15, 20 years ago. The world was a little different in terms of women, glass ceiling, et cetera. I experienced mansplaining. There was just some things that I experienced. I mean, not harassment, so I don't want to go that route. But I really felt that women were not necessarily being uh, trained or getting the same experiences that men were getting. And I wanted to understand what was going on. So whatever I was building, be it for teen girls or podcasters, is, you know, build something that is incredibly useful. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's really been my focus. I think that is amazing. And I would also encourage all women in podcasting, come join ASA. You can go to our website, asacollective.com. ASA is free to join. We don't require exclusivity, which is a huge thing for me, which is we want women to make money. I'm not going to put barriers in their way. And we offer a very vibrant evolving community. So we're here to help because we believe in podcasting. So please join us. Amazing. Sadly, we're running to the end of our time, but I wanted to ask if you have any final piece of advice to young people starting off in their careers and aiming at your level of success or any final comments. I think it's, you know, a lot of people say this, but I do believe You need to work at or work for something you really love because work is work. It's hard work if if you want to be successful. So really ask yourself a very serious question. Do I love what I'm doing? What would I love to do? What are you passionate about? That to me is so essential. Don't pass that or don't pass go until you have a good understanding of your passion, your interests, and then focus on either working in a company that supports your interests or your vision or your mission, or start a business that does the same. But it's not fun doing things you don't love to do, and you're not gonna be as good at it as you should be. Again, I think that is great advice and I wanted to say thank you because I really enjoyed our conversation and I personally learned a lot. I have a lot of reflecting to do and I hope everyone else did. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's been really an honor to speak with you. I'm so appreciative of it. Uh, Well, it is an honor from my side because you've had an amazing career and 
really pleased that you wanted to share it with us. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you all enjoyed this episode of Female Narrative, discussing the ups and downs of entrepreneurship and marketing. I hope to see you next time for the next episode of Female Narrative.